Sportsman Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. She's a Marine Corps veteran, a career police officer. During a car stop, she was shot multiple times. She managed, in spite of her injuries, to give pursuit, chase the suspects, apprehended them, and she's here to tell her story on the Law Enforcement Today show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725, online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Texas, we have police officer Ann Marie Carrizales on the phone. And thanks so much for joining us on Law Enforcement Today's show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And I got to tell you, you are like a hero in my book. I'm going to tell you that right now. Oh, man. Come on. No. <laughs> I don't say that often. Here's one of the things. Before we get into details, when we have law enforcement officers do really heroic stuff and they're interviewed by the press, they'll always say, yeah, I was just doing my job. And, and I get it. I understand uh, not wanting to, to brag or anything else, but I, I think it's about time we started saying, yeah, there's some people here doing heroic things and they do that across the United States on a daily basis and they need to be acknowledged. I, I would definitely agree with you and say that we do need to acknowledge it more because you're certainly hearing about the about the bullcorn stuff before you're hearing about the acts of bravery and courage that you know yeah. law enforcement are doing all over the country. That, so I would agree with you there. But I, I certainly uh, would say that um, these are acts of um, you know bravery, courage, you know how it is. It's a call to serve something bigger than yourself. And, and if that's heroic, then okay, let's let's call it heroic. Here's the I'm reason just... I say this. And we'll go into details. Anne's going to tell her story. Uh, Anne, by the way, is a United States Marine Corps veteran. And uh, thank am. you for your service. And thank you for your service in the police department as well. Uh, this is something I've talked about with many police officers is that when people thank me for my service, I get uncomfortable and I don't know what to say. And that even comes from other law enforcement people when they say it. So uh, when I say to right. you, thank you for your service on law enforcement, I know what that means. I know how demanding it is, how dangerous it can be. And it's okay if you don't know how to respond. Well, I can relate to how you're feeling. I think that's exactly how police officers feel when people say you're a hero. It's uncomfortable, especially coming from your own, right? Because let's face it, police officers are very critical of other police officers. Oh, yeah. 
but when we're proud of one another, uh, we do that as passionately as well. So I, I can relate to how you feel when someone says thank you for your service. I, I don't get uncomfortable when they say that. I always say, hey, I'm proud to do it. It's an honor and a privilege. And that, to me, is, is how I truly feel. But when someone calls me a hero, that's incredibly uncomfortable. I get it. The reason I bring it up is I rarely watch dash cam videos. I rarely watch body cam videos. And I tell people all the time, it's not because I'm not interested. I am. It's because I get the adrenaline rush. I get everything going, and it really jacks my day up. It gets me going mentally. It's like being back on the streets again. Absolutely. And I Absolutely. watched your video, the dash cam video, the incident you're involved in uh, to prepare for the show. And I, I got to tell you, I was absolutely impressed. And I'll let you tell your story. But Ann could have easily said, I'm shot, and the suspects got away, and let someone else do it. But no, no, you got in your car and you chased these guys down determined to not let them get away. And, and I don't see that kind of bravery happening very, very often. Well, I do. <laughs> I do. And, 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 you know, Jay, it may not be in the exact same circumstance in the exact same way, but I do. I mean, I've seen cops jump into water that oh, weren't yeah. great swimmers to save somebody drowning. I've seen I get cops. That run into, you know, burning buildings. I've seen cops, you know, here's my big thing. I'm scared to death of crocodiles, alligators, whatever you want to call it. I'm scared to death of those bad boys, right? But I've seen police officers, you know, contain one so nobody else gets bit or attacked or, or is afraid. So uh, I, I see cops doing that kind of stuff all of the time. I will acknowledge that it is a little different. The, the circumstances with what happened to me uh, is unusual, but I, I don't doubt that there's thousands of officers who would have done the same thing if, if that had been them that night. I, I really believe that that they would have done the same thing if they could. My biggest fear in police work, and it didn't come true, was that I'd have to deliver a baby. That was my absolute biggest fear. <laughs> it was paralyzing, and to be honest with you. But as far as being in pursuits and being in gun battles, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but I tell people this, that, you didn't have time, or I should say, I didn't have time to think about it. I just reacted. And part of me, the very primitive, I guess, part of me gets very angry when someone tried to shoot me. And then I was going to do whatever it took. I was like a, a bulldog with a bone. I was going to do whatever it took to get them. Yes, I was furious. I was furious. If I had to paint a picture of what I felt and must have looked like at that time, despite what people heard, what they heard was calm. Oh, yeah, I was calm, but I have to say calm. It's how I'm wired. If I let my emotions get the better of me and I go there, it's it's difficult to perform to the best of my ability when I'm performing from that emotional level, right? So I, I, I have to stay focused and I have to stay calm. That's why I was calm, but I was furious. And if I had to make a, an illustration of what that looked like, to me it just looks like this salvating canine you know, we've all seen them that, that, that wants that bite. I get and it. And the handler's holding them back. And, and the, this dog is like, all I need is for my partner to let, cut me loose, and I am going to do my job with all of my heart and soul. And that's how I felt in that moment. It was like, oh, no, you're not going to come in here into this city and, and, and shoot me and then drive away and, and think I'm not going to come for you. If my heart's ticking and I'm conscious, and I can breathe, and I got my fine motor skills about me, I, I'm on the way. I'm coming for you. 
And that's the mindset of many of the men and women that I've worked alongside. I'll be honest with you. It is. I, I agree with you 100%. I just don't see those videos that often. And I think right. part of the problem is because for, for so long, we have relied on the news media to tell our stories. And they've done a lousy job. They've done a lousy job when I was a rookie. But now it's so biased that anything good that police do, they mm-hmm. won't show. It's just whatever they can manipulate and twist right. and, and put some controversy onto, that seems to grab the headlines, and it spreads like wildfire. Right. I agree with you 100%. And I'll also take it a step further. Society out there, and many, many, many men and women still feel this way, they believe that um, women don't have a place in law enforcement, that we're not effective, that we can't do the job because we're women, or we can't do it as effectively as our male counterparts. And that's just simply bullcorn. It's not yes. true. Um, there are tons of women out there who wear a badge who would have handled the situation exactly the way that I would have. I believe this in my heart because I've had the honor and privilege of meeting some of these women. I think this was a huge, huge thing as well because I am a woman. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I think people were fascinated by that aspect of it. How many times do we see police dash cam videos of women officers uh, executing and executing in a way that people are proud of or or find inspiring or find brave and courageous. That's not what we see, the same as what you just said with the media. What we see are lots and lots of videos of, of women out there making mistakes or doing it in a way that people didn't feel was effective. And so I think when this happened to me, it kind of tugged at the thought process in in, in men and women who thought that women don't have a place in law enforcement, tugged at them and kind of forced them to reevaluate and say, look, women can do this, this job just as effectively as, as our male counterparts. And at the end of the day, we're human beings. We're all human beings. And it's a scary thing that we have to face, but we do it because it's how we're wired. It's what we're called to do. And, and I think it, it caused a lot of people to kind of stop and, and chew on that a little bit and maybe re reevaluate or or just kind of ponder that thought in their own minds again at what our role is as women in law enforcement and, and how effective we can truly be. On that note, we're going to take a short break. You listen to Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center.
We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. Back to our conversation with police officer Anne Marie Carrizales, calling us from Texas. In October 2013, uh, she had a car stop. And it turned south quickly, and she was shot multiple times, including once in the face. Gave chase, pursued the suspects for a long period of time, despite her injuries, and wound up apprehending them. Uh, phenomenal police work. Before we went to break, and you hit it on such an important note. It's about the stereotypes. And there are so many stereotypes perpetuated by Hollywood about police. And, and look, I'm Irish Catholic. My grandparents are immigrants, and they always have at least one guy who's a drunken bum and doesn't see his kids and doesn't pay his child support, has a bad attitude. And then they have the the fluffy female officers. And the truth is, our, our female officers, when I was a rookie in 1980, they were doing a job. And they were doing his job as well as men. And we had some men that were phenomenal. We had some females that were phenomenal. And we had some men who were cowards. Uh, and that's right. just the absolute truth. But the, right. by and large, the vast majority of them on any given day would go through anything to try to help anybody. Correct. And, and you're right. I think you're absolutely right. This dash cam video of what you went through, that your determination. And by the way, just do a search on Google search for police officer Anne Marie Carrizales, and you'll see the dash cam video and how calm right. you were in a pursuit. At one point you said, hey, give me the air. I'm in pursuit. And you yes. said it with a flat level calm that I was cheering watching that. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, you know, if you've ever worn a badge and, and, and done this work, you understand what that feels like when you give a radio transmission that's going to cause your partners to worry about your safety right. or about your life, how you're doing, right? Um, and so you have to understand these guys, my partners, and I I always get a, lo- a lump in my throat when I talk about this part. <clears throat> it's crazy all these years later, but, uh, you know, my partners and I worked together years and years, you know, and, and, and I say, you know, shots fired, I'm hit. Well, it's, it's, it's natural for them to want to be on the radio to tell me that they're coming, you right. know, they're coming for me. And it just got so much so that, um, I couldn't get on the air. And, and so that I, 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 be- I believed in my heart that I needed to reestablish or at least make sure they truly understood that I was still in control of the call, that I was okay, and I knew they were coming, but I needed the channel to transmit. So that was the reason why I said that. I needed to get on the channel, and I couldn't. But they were on the channel because they were simply, with all of their heart and soul, trying to tell me that they were coming for me. They were going to be there with me, and that I needn't worry. They they had my six. Uh, So I, I understood that. I understood their position. But again... You know, I've made this decision, and I committed to this decision to pursue. Uh, at this point, I had two holes in my face and a hole on the left side of my left breast from bullet ho- from bullet wounds. But I had to establish that I was still in control, and and I had 
they had to hear it because they've been working with me for years. They know, they know Carousel they know what I sound like when I, when I um, am in control. And so they needed to hear me say that. So that was a huge part of what that was all about. Uh, and, it, and it does, it goes to show a, a good lesson in that we need to understand what our role is. In our role as a backup officer, we need to make sure that the officer involved has the airwaves so they can transmit and communicate with dispatch and with us. So it's just a really great learning part of the video to talk about. I wish so many people that were not police would watch that video and get an example of what happens. And But you had a car stop. I did. Tell us I what did. happened. So it was a traffic stop. Uh, I, had caught, I had caught eyes on this car as I was patrolling uh, that night in uh, Stafford, Texas. I caught eyes on this car sitting at a stoplight. The car had its left turn signal on, but it wasn't in the left turning lane. And I, I was actually patrolling around, just trying to be visible. I wasn't really looking to initiate anything. I was, to be quite honest, I was waiting for my good partner, uh, Brandon, to get back to the camp, get back to the city so we could go have chow, you know. So it was just one of those, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to patrol. I'm going to be uh, uh, visible. And, I'm not going to do anything, right? Back. What's that? I'm not going to do anything, right? And that's what no, it always happens. I'm not going to do anything. I just want people to see me. I want to be, you know, visible so that if they, you know, if they see me, it dis- it, it discourages any any non nonsensical behavior. But but I was really in 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 straight up. I'm just trying to stay out of anything so that when he gets back, Brandon gets back, we can all go sit down and have a have a meal together. You know, that's that was my my thought process. But something something caught my eye about the car, and, and eventually, I observed. Uh, I observed traffic violations and just downright suspicious behavior that caused me to make contact with the car. So I initiated the, the traffic stop based off of that. And the vehicle pulls over at some point into a uh, trailer park. And, you know, that's where, where the, uh, the spark to the powder keg happened. Right what there happens, in the drive it happens in, very fast. The driveway, very fast. You know, they say that all the time. You hear... You hear people in training, and as a cop, you go through sort of training, training, training. You hear them say, "What? It happens in seconds." And I always say, "That's bullcorn. It happens in less than seconds. It's it's faster than that." But uh, I made the traffic stop. I made contact. There was red flags and pre-attack indicators. We can talk that all day long, but at the end of the day, with one set of eyes, you're only you're only going to pick up some. Even you, you, you could be the most observant police officer on your game and you're still not going to pick it all up. You only have one set of eyes. And I picked up some things where I knew something was brewing. I just didn't quite know what that was at the time. And if you're like me, you you have these things that make the alarm bells go off in your head, but it doesn't mean you pull out your gun and you you do like a felony car stop every time. You just can't do that. Correct. So you're like playing it, playing along, see what happens. And at, at some point you walked up to the car and then what happened? Well, I initially uh, intended on making a passenger stop, and you can actually see me on the dash cam video shift my dash cam slightly to the right. You see me do that because I anticipated the approach being a passenger approach. And when I got out of my patrol car, I stood there and I observed for, for several seconds, as I often do, and I just, something told me, you know, I'm not going to claim some fancy tactical reason why I opted against the passenger approach. I honestly just didn't like the way it looked. I didn't like the way it felt. It didn't feel good. I have my gut telling me, don't go that way. Don't do that. Don't do it. Make the driver's side approach. And so that's what I did. 
And, you know, luckily I did do that because of all of the red flag that I was picking up from the driver and the passenger that was sitting behind the driver in the back seat, all of the red flags I was picking up there. And tactically, I felt like I was in a very good position where I was standing. I took position just behind the rear passenger window. And I'm going to use those layman's terms for everybody to understand. But if I approached the car, I stopped behind the rear passenger behind the driver. So I actually never made it up to the driver's side window. And there's a reason I did that. It was basically because, one, I hadn't noticed the rear passenger behind the driver. And I only noticed the driver and the front passenger. So when I saw there was a third person in the car, I opted to stop there. I didn't want to move up to the driver window, giving my gun side and part of my backside to that rear passenger. So I stood where I stood. And it was a blessing because listening to my instincts made it more difficult for the front seat passenger, who was the actual person who shot me, uh, to whip around in his seat there and come into the back seat with his weapon and uh, and start shooting me. On that note, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with police officer Anne-Marie Carazella's uh, car stop, shot multiple times, gave chase, and got the bad guys. Remember to check out our website for news articles, past episodes of the podcast, download our free app, and much more. That's letradioshow.com. Don't go anywhere. If you want to be a guest on a Law Enforcement Today show, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. If you want to be a guest on a Law Enforcement Today show, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Return conversation with police officer Anne-Marie Carazellas, a United States Marine Corps veteran, a career police officer. On a car stop, she was shot multiple times, including once in the face, before going to break you talked about approaching the car and, and all the things that we are taught to do and i love how you said i can't give you fancy explanations i just had a gut feeling so you right. approach a car you didn't want to give your back to the backseat passenger at that right. point someone pulled out a gun and started shooting correct right right and the reason i did say that just to kind of touch on that really quick is because i feel like it's important jay it's so easy for not just police officers, but human beings do this. Once they see the video, once they they have hindsight in their corner, it's easy to kind of develop <laughs> an extra narrative, right? And and it's natural for human beings to do that. But I really do try hard to maintain the integrity of what I saw, what I felt, what I smelled and heard, and, and all of that in that moment. And in that moment, I don't have any reason other than to say something in my belly said, uh-uh, don't go that way. So that's why I ended up on the other side. Like I said, I was I was great where I was standing. I felt like I was I was in a good spot. Uh, if they tried to hurt me, it was going to take a hell of a lot more out of them and their position to come out of their position than it was going to be for me to respond. And that's exactly what happened. 
I never saw the shooter in the front passenger seat whip around, pull out his weapon, come in from the front seat in between him and the driver, push his body into the back seat to the rear window where I was just behind there. I never saw all that happen. So this is what I mean when they when I say it doesn't happen in seconds. It happens in like a fraction of a half of a second. Because the next thing I know, the weapon was in my face and I, I didn't see him produce it, but I looked at it the exact moment he shot me because I saw the muzzle flash shoot out at my face. Of course, I hear the gunshot and of course, I felt the pain. So um, it was very, very, very fast. It's amazing. You say this, and I recall the incidents I've been in, and they went from zero to life and death within milliseconds. And Correct. the funny thing about it, and I don't know about it for you, it's as if like everything slowed down. That I didn't hear what was going on in the background all that well. I just focused on the shooter. Right, and a lot of people don't understand that unless you've been in that situation. The fascinating thing is that is what happens to your body in moments like that during sudden onsets of stress during a time where your heart rate has shot up so high that it starts to affect things like fine motor skills whether you have time distortion things slow way 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 down uh, and then they kind of shoot back into real time it's a very it makes for a very confusing time when your brain is trying to process the as it flies right it's trying to catch up. It's trying to process all of this. And you can have things like that where time slows down or you have uh, auditory exclusion, which is a fancy way of saying you sometimes you can't hear anything. You can only see. Uh, and sometimes people can't see and they can only hear. It's just, it's remarkable to me the way that the mind tries to process something like that and the effects that it has on the body to perform under that type of stress is something you truly have to work on in training. The other thing that happens for me is when the incident was over, is being asked what happened by in the investigators and what'd you do? And quite honestly, I was like, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many shots I fired. I couldn't tell you. I, I had to find out what mm-hmm. happened because it all, it happened so fast, but it seemed to crawl. And that's not uncommon. That's absolutely not, that's absolutely not uncommon. It is not uncommon for an officer to say, I fired my gun twice or three times and and the officers emptied the magazine or actually did a magazine change and has no memory of it. That is absolutely not unheard of. It's, it's, it's a common response. And, and so here lies the, the, the big debate on do we let our officers watch the dash cam and then give their statement or do, do we have them not see it? You know, it's, I've heard discussions on that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I know that for me, though, Jay, you know, I had just been involved in, in a shooting a year prior I didn't get shot, but I had to shoot someone else. And I learned a lot from that incident. That happened October 14th of 2012. I, I had my arm pinned in a, in, in a window of, of a car, the driver's side window, and he dragged me down the way, and, and it turned into an on-duty shooting. Now, that was October 14th of 2012. This incident that we're talking about here today is October 26, 2013. Just a little bit more than a year later. Right. And and I'll tell you what, I had this sinking feeling after the first shooting that something was going to happen again. Something was going to happen again, and I needed to be ready. And there were aspects to my performance under that type of stress and uh, in the first shooting that 
I wanted to improve on and I wanted to be more focused and clear and better prepared mentally. And so I did a lot of preparation in that year. And it, it, I felt the difference because the second shooting that we're discussing now, I didn't have, I had so much incredible clarity on details and what I saw, what I remembered. I know, I knew exactly how many shots I fired. I remembered exactly how many steps I took when the second shot hits my left breast, it knocks me back. Uh, I remembered everything so incredibly clear. It was the, it was just, um, the preparation, the preparation for that moment was, it served me. It, it truly served me. And I believe that's part of the reason why you're here to tell us all the story. Uh, How many times were you shot? I was shot twice. The first bullet hit my left cheekbone. Uh, It went in through my face. It was through and through in the the face. It entered my left cheek, traveled through my face, came out the left jawline area just under my left earlobe, obliterated my earlobe. They had to reattach the earlobe. Uh, Ultimately, they had to remove that portion of my earlobe because it wasn't getting adequate blood flow. The second shot pierced my left breast. I did have a vest on. The vest was custom fit for my body. However, as I was turning to get the hell out of Dodge after getting shot in the face, I was turning to my right. The bullet hits just to the left of my of my left breast. So it's essentially it's hitting you. It's striking me in the softest point of my vest that it could have ever hit. And it went into my body. Uh, caused uh, a severe injury, which ultimately led to me having to have a partial mastectomy of my left breast. They cut half of the breast off. I walked around the farm like that for about 10, 11 months, and then they went in and they were able to do the reconstruction and put Humpty Dumpty back together. (laughs) It's amazing that you survived that because, A, being shot in the face could be quite often is not survivable. Secondly, to have a bullet penetrate the vest for whatever reason, and that happens far more often than people realize, and enter your chest cavity at all, can right. certainly be a life-threatening situation as well. Do you ever get the feeling like, I survived, so there must be a purpose I have because of this? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm a praying girl. I always have been. I'm the daughter of a preacher, so I, I, I was raised in the church, and I'll tell you what, I never sat there and said, oh, why, why, why did I have to get shot? That's not something I struggled with, although that's a very normal response to something as horrific as this, to sit and go, why me, why me? I didn't have that, but I did struggle with, Lord, I know that you are the only reason I'm alive, and I I know that it's by your grace and mercy that I'm alive, but I don't quite know what I'm supposed to do with this here. So I went through a lot of that in the aftermath of just trying to figure out what the lesson was. What will you have me do with all of this? And I was afraid because I wanted to get it right. You know, I felt incredibly lucky to be alive and I wanted to just do right by that, by that gift of my life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with police officer Anne-Marie Carrizales. Remember to check out our website for news articles, past episodes of the podcast, download our free app, and much more. That's letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices, 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is 
letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by police officer Anne-Marie Carazellas. Uh, shot twice, once in the face and once in the chest and managed to give chase and, and catch the bad guys. And uh, I watched the video, by the way, just do a Google search for a police officer, Anne-Marie Carazellas, and you'll find the dash cam video as well. Uh, amazing example of police work and professionalism under fire. And that's a term that's used quite often, sometimes overly used. And I'm very much impressed with your determination. Uh, here you are, badly injured, and yet you have the presence of mind to give chase. You're not letting these guys get away. And you managed to do it all in a calm, cool, professional manner. How long did you have to chase these guys in a pursuit? Uh, it's like 9,000 days. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. It seemed like it, it didn't it? Like. That's just what it felt like. It was actually uh, like 9 to 10 minutes, I believe, somewhere around there. And I know that some of the previous uh, news reports stated that I chased them for 20 miles. I did not chase them for 20 miles. Uh, the whole the whole pursuit and everything was was the whole incident and pursuit was about a ten minute ordeal, okay. which is a long time. It's a very however, long time. However, I, I didn't chase them for twenty miles. It was it was literally from Stafford, Texas, into Houston, uh, Harris County. Uh, Stafford is in Fort Bend County, but they border. The jurisdictional lines are very close, so it it, it you can almost just spit a lug into the next jurisdiction. So we're very close, but. Uh, it was a long, it was a long pursuit, especially in the moment of all of it. Yeah, and that's where the time seems to drag. When, for me, when I was in life and death situations, I never had the thought of, "Hey, I'm going to retreat, get out of this situation." It was always, "I'm going forward, and I'm going to get these guys." Uh, I'm not saying I'm special. That's just the mindset I had. Right, as uh, as, do, as do I. I. I'm one of those, just like you, just like that. And, and people uh, would love to say, why didn't you back up, wait for backup? Like, that that wasn't even an option. You just go. No. No. Because sometimes it's, it's you can't. Sometimes it's you have to act. That's the oath we take, right? You know, these guys are about to drive away. What, you don't think they're going to kill somebody else? And, 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 and they had, you know, just several weeks prior, they had killed someone, you know, the the guy who shot me killed a young man during a botched robbery. And that very night, they were coming off of a robbery spree. So these were not people that I wanted driving around the city of Stafford if I could help it. If, if, if it's my watch and I am and conscious and able to pursue, that's exactly what's going to happen. And so that's what I did. It wasn't about trying to be a hero. It wasn't about anything other than they are not going to just drive off and roam the streets of Stafford as, as long as I can help it because these were dangerous, dangerous people that had no respect or value for human life, and that was obvious. And you had really no idea that it was more than just a car stop that made the, the police gut instinct and the alarm bells go off in your head that something wasn't right. Correct. And if there's anything I learned throughout my, my life is to follow my gut. My gut, my instincts have very rarely ever let me down. Uh, just follow my instinct. The only time that uh, I've found myself going, damn it, darn, I should have, was when I haven't listened to my gut. I always say this. Uh, I, I've said it to 
primarily people who aren't in law enforcement. I remember having a, a conversation with someone and I said, if, if you get in an elevator, it's, it's a young woman at the time, and it's a guy in the elevator and he makes the hair in the back of your neck stand up, trust your instincts or God-given Absolutely. instincts. You can always, if you're wrong, you can always apologize later on. But that's why you're given these instincts. Don't ignore them. And for, for law enforcement, it's so easy for people to criticize and say, uh, they were stopping them because of profiling or this or that, or the officer was right. overly aggressive, or right. they could have taken a chill pill, or the, the term de jour, which is de-escalate. You didn't have a chance yeah. to de-escalate, did you? No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know, uh, unfortunately, there's situations we will find ourselves in where you're going to go from zero to 100 in a split fraction of a second, and you better be ready. You better have the mindset to be ready to to perform under that type of stress, under that type of threat on your life. Uh, that's the key right there. You could have all the tactical training from here to Texas, from here to New York, because I am in Texas, but you know what I'm saying? You could have yeah. all of the, the tactical training you want. You could do 50 burpees, you know, from one side of the street to the next and back and forth again. But if your mindset is not right, you're not going to, you're not going to make it. And I hate to say this, you, you just brought up a huge point. Not everybody has on the ball like that every minute of every day. The best officer, uh, the most, Correct. the most gung ho put together officer that has that mindset can have a bad moment. And the old saying is complacency kills. You weren't complacent. You got shot. You gave chase. The bad guys got caught. And then you're left with these injuries. And how how long was your medical rehabilitation? So it was off and on. You know, I was in and out of hospitals with surgery in the aftermath of that. I, I, I got shot October 26th. I went back to work in February. And then I was out again here and there throughout the next couple of years, surgeries after surgeries. And, 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 and that's just the physical healing. That's just the physical part. Which I don't know about you. The physical part is a lot quicker than the emotional, mental part. I can tell you that the physical healing took me, I would say, anywhere from two and a half to, to three years. And it was difficult. You're talking about half of my, you know, my breast was cut off. And, and, and there's stitches and there's drain tubes and then there's reconstruction and then there's taking my ear, putting it back together, then taking it back off and getting into my face and taking out scar tissue, smoothing it. So, so it was a very physically painful process. Taking those two bullets was extremely traumatic and physically incredibly painful. And that was the easy part. That was the easy part. I'm glad you said that. It's, it's taking you a lot of time to find your new normal, I would assume. Correct. That's a work. That's a lot of work. It is. That is a lot of work. It starts with acceptance. Letting I'm, I'm go. So I held glad on you said that. And freaking nail, clawed and held on to what my life was and who I was pre-shooting. And then I who did you are today. not want to let it go. I understand perfectly. I was fortunate; I was never shot, but there were incidents that uh, I could look at my life and say I was a different guy before this, and right. I had to learn how to be okay with the guy I am afterwards. Right, and that's what gets us in trouble because I might have gone through training after training in my Marine Corps days, and uh, even in my fight career. You know, I, I'm a former fight champion. And that served me in my mindset and my response to this threat on my life as well. People don't understand how, how that works, but, but it does. All of that served me, but I will tell you, we do not get the training that is going to keep us alive in the aftermath. 
They teach us to win the fight on the streets. They absolutely do not prepare you and provide you with the tactics, with the emotional tactics to win the fight after the fight. You win the fight, and then and then you lose in the fight after the fight. Why is that? Because they ingrain it in your brain that the ultimate goal is what? We all go what? We all go, go home. home. Yeah. And that's not enough, Jay. It's not enough. I made it home twice. I had no idea what the hell I was supposed to be doing once I got there. My life went, it, it was turned upside down, and I didn't have the tools to get out of that dark place that it took me to. I didn't. I happen to have the pleasure of seeing some of the things you do on social media, and I happen to know that you've taken what you've gone through and what you've experienced and what it's taken to get to where you're at today, and what are you doing with that? Well, what I'm doing is, just to keep it simple, is I'm taking my pain and I'm using it to help others heal their own pain. Uh, I was very angry. I was a very angry human being in the years after the shooting. I struggled a great deal with a lot of the emotional scars I had and the injuries that I obtained as, as a result of this traumatic event. So I was very angry. And I'll tell you, once I got to the point where I, I realized, you know, I'm getting, I'm losing this fight here. I'm getting my butt kicked and I don't have an answer for it. I had to come to this point in my life where I, I let go of what, like I explained, I was holding on to tooth and nail and Carrizales pre-shooting. It's, you're different. It changes you. It truly does. Now, how you're going to let it change you is up to you. And I, I, I got to, to a really, really, really low part. My marriage was a mess. My children were a mess. And I was in a very dark, dark place. And I had no idea what to do. But it wasn't until I found my why. And I think that's super important that we find our why. Uh, it's not always the super obvious choice that people may think. That, you know, for parents, it's not always your kids and, 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 and those obvious choices of, oh, this is my why. But for me, I had to find my why, and then I started to educate myself about what was happening to me. I really had to put my ego aside and, and, and come from this really humble place to say, okay, I'm fighting a fight here. I'm getting my butt kicked. Why? Well, Anne, former fight champion, ranked number one in the country, number two in the world, right? I had to look at things from that perspective. Hey, I'm a fight champion. I, I should be able to do this. And so I went note, back to the We're going to have to cut you off because we are out of time. I can tell okay. already we got to have you back on the Law Enforcement Today show. Let's Thank you so it. very much. It's very much appreciated. For great news articles, past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show podcast, download our free app, the forums, and much more. Go to our website, letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. On behalf of everyone associated with the Law Enforcement Today radio show and website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.